here at the Jerusalem Channel, we work hard to keep you informed and up to date on prophetic end time events in the Holy Land. But we also see so many great humanitarian needs. And that's why your support is helping to keep this ministry lifting up the name of the Lord in the Middle East. One of our most recent projects was to donate and dedicate a fully equipped ambulance to Israel's National Volunteer Rescue Service. The ambulance is available to assist everyone, Jews, Muslims, Christians, and yes, even tourists who might need medical assistance. So thanks for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel by your gifts through our website or through our ministry addresses in the USA and the United Kingdom. Please help us to be a blessing to all the people of the Holy Land. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. There's one special solemn day in the year when the Jewish people seek forgiveness from God. They observe a period of introspection leading up to what are called the High Holy Days and the very somber Day of Atonement. On the Hebrew calendar, this period of time is known as the month of Elul, a season of repentance. And according to a Jewish parable, during the time of Elul, the kings were expected to venture out into open fields to visit with the common people and to make themselves accessible to everybody. It's an interesting parable, but how would you react if you had an encounter with the king of the universe, Jesus? Would you be able to ask for forgiveness? Hello, I'm Christine Darg. During the month of Elul on the Hebrew calendar, the Jewish people prepare themselves spiritually for the High Holy Days. The word Elul is similar to the root of the verb meaning to search in Aramaic, and searching one's heart is certainly part of repentance. Elul is seen as a time to draw near to God. It's customary for the Jewish people to blow the shofar every morning, except on the Shabbat, during the month of Elul, until the day before the Feast of Trumpets, also known as the Jewish New Year. The shofar blast is a plaintive cry, a piercing sound that's meant to be a wake-up call. Soul-searching is the action called for. And for Christians, the blowing of the shofar is especially significant because many Bible believers do believe that soon we'll hear the blast of the trumpet of God mentioned in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That will be our call up. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud shout of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that, we who are still alive and remain will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. For the Jewish people, the month of Elul, the Feast of Trumpets, and the ten days leading up to Yom Kippur 
amount to a season of spiritual accountability on an annual basis. It's all about character self-examination and seeking forgiveness from God and from others. One thing we Christians do know, we must forgive others. That's the command of the Lord. And we also must forgive ourselves and not live in a state of anger and depression, so dangerous to the soul. As the Apostle Paul, Rabbi Shaul, wrote in 1 Timothy 1.15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Messiah Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. I find it fascinating that the Hebrew word Elul is not only associated with a root word meaning to search, but in the Jewish Talmud there's also a suggestion that Elul is an acronym. That's the first letters from a verse from the Song of Solomon that's often engraved on wedding rings. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. This speaks of the betrothal of King Messiah to his bride and of the soon coming marriage supper of the Lamb. Amongst our Jewish patriarchs, during the month of Elul, it's also customary to add Psalm 27 to the daily prayers, both morning and afternoon. Psalm 27 is a psalm of David. And why is this particular psalm recited so often? Again, it's all part of spiritual preparation and soul searching because the high holidays in the following Hebrew month called Tishri are alluded to in this beautiful Psalm 27. For example, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is alluded to in the first verse. The Lord is my light and my salvation. On Yom Kippur, the Jewish people believe God saves repentant souls from the prosecuting angels and God inscribes their names for a good and healthy new year. A Christian, on the other hand, believes that Jesus, Yeshua, is our salvation. He is our light and our salvation. And we believe that our names are inscribed permanently in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's when we repent of our sins and receive the atonement that He procured for us on the cross. Biblical references for that belief about our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life are found in Revelation 13.8 and Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and the meaning of Jesus' Hebrew name, Yeshua, is God is salvation. Now also the Feast of Tabernacles is alluded to in verse 5 of Psalm 27. It says, For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret shelter of his tabernacle he shall cover me. Being hidden under God's protection, under his wings, so to speak, is a Bible promise also expressed in Psalm 91 in both Psalms. 27 and 91, are exceedingly precious to our Judeo-Christian heritage. So this is a time of spiritual stock-taking, a time to review one's actions and spiritual progress over the past year. 
The Hasidic masters liken the month of Elul to a time when the king ventures out into the field, in contrast to when he's resident in the royal palace. Everyone who so desires is permitted to meet him in the field, and he receives everybody with a cheerful countenance. While the sages of Israel emphasize that a person can repent at any time of the year, they have come to believe that Elul and the ten days of awe leading up to Yom Kippur are especially conducive to repentance and to making amends with others. And so they believe that Isaiah 55, 6 is an allusion to the month of Elul. And it says, seek the Lord while he is found, call upon him when he's near. In the popular rabbinic teaching about the king appearing in the field, the sovereign pays a surprise visit to his subjects while they're working. It's not a holy day, but just a mundane work day in the parable. And that's really meaningful to Christians who are eagerly looking for the second coming of Jesus, because we know, according to the New Testament doctrine of eminence, that Jesus is going to pay a surprise visit in the event known as the rapture, when the resurrected dead and the living saints will be snatched away as the Lord suddenly appears and descends into the atmosphere. Then King Messiah will truly visit the field of this earth. As Matthew 24:40 reminds us, one shall be taken and another who's not a real believer will be left behind in the field. Watch, Jesus said, because you don't know at what hour he's coming. One of the Hasidic sages taught that the king's usual place, of course, is in the capital city in the royal palace. And indeed, Jesus is in heaven's capital right now. At the moment, he's enthroned in the new Jerusalem that's above. Anyone wishing to approach the king, so the Hasidic sages taught, must go through the usual appropriate channels in the palace, bureaucracy, and gain the approval of, the, of a succession of officials and ministers. A person seeking the king also must journey to the capital and pass through the many gates, corridors, and antechambers that lead into the throne room. And he must adhere to an exacting protocol, dress code, speech, and mannerisms upon entering into the royal presence. He must have connections in what the Israelis call protexia. But all of that protocol is dismissed when the king comes out into the fields. There's indeed a lot of truth in this Jewish parable of the king in the field. To those whose eyes have been enlightened, the king is Messiah Jesus. And now the only spiritual protocol that's necessary to get access to God Almighty, to Abba Father, is to come in the name of his son, King Jesus. No special garb is needed except, of course, for the robe of righteousness that Jesus grants to those who believe on his name. No nationality, no special status is required, only repentance and acceptance of God's blood atonement through Messiah 
Yeshua. We receive the gift of his atoning blood by faith. Then God accepts us in his sight and reckons us made clean by the washing of the blood of Jesus. No matter how dark was our past and no matter what our station in life happens to be. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be, as the old hymn goes, He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary, and he suffered and died alone. So my joy through the ages will be to sing of his great love for me. Hallelujah. Now, during this season of repentance in the Jewish world, the Jewish people take extra measures to be reminded of the kingship of the Almighty. A well-known Hebrew song is Avinu Malkinu, meaning our Father, our King. It's recited during services in synagogues on Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, and Yom Kippur, as well during the 10 days of repentance the days of awe from Rosh Hashanah leading up to Yom Kippur. Joseph Hertz, the former chief rabbi of the British Empire who died in 1946, described Avinu Malkinu as the oldest and most moving of all the litanies of the Jewish year. And by the way, you can Google Avinu Malkinu and even hear popular singers like Barbara Streisand singing it on YouTube. Well, the prayer makes use of two titles of God that appear separately in our Bible. Our Father from Isaiah 63, 16, and our King from Isaiah 33:22. During this time, the Jews pray plenty of prayers of repentance, covering all the bases, so to speak. Once, two brothers were sitting together in a synagogue during the High Holy Days, and the younger brother was shocked to see his father repenting of all sorts of misdeeds. The little brother was hurt because in his eyes, his father was a great man. But his older brother wisely explained. He said, listen, I'm going to tell you what's going on here. This prayer is said by all Jews, even the holiest of the rabbis. He said, you see, all Jews are like one body. When some part of the body hurts, the whole body is sick. When one Jew sins, he hurts our whole people. So the prayer mentions all possible sins in the order of the alphabet so that any Jew anywhere who may have done these things is covered. That's why the prayer is corporate. It says, we have sinned, that is, all of us together. And this goes to show how responsible we are for one another and how we must always help each other to do right. Well, the younger brother wiped away his tears and he felt so much better because he knew that his father was still the most wonderful man in the world and that he was praying not just for himself, but also for others. And doesn't that story sound just like a teaching straight out of the New Testament? After all, the Apostle Paul was a great rabbi, Rabbi Shaul. And Paul taught that all believers in Jesus are part 
of the mystical body of Messiah. We are one. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul wrote that just as a body has many parts forming into one body, so it is with Messiah. We're all baptized by one spirit to form one body, whether we're Jew or Gentile. We are one body and Messiah, Jesus, is our head. And we've been given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So if, for example, the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. The foot, nevertheless, wouldn't stop being part of the body. And if an ear should say, I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, the ear wouldn't stop being part of the body. But in fact, God has placed all the various parts in the body just as he wants them to be. There are many parts, but one body. Therefore, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand can't say to the feet, I don't need you. But God has put the body together so that there should be no division and everyone should have equal concern for one another. If one part of the body suffers, we all suffer with it. If one part is honored, then we all rejoice with it. So if you've been standing all day and your feet hurt, then all of your body is pretty miserable, right? But I have to say in evaluating the body that many sincere believers these days find themselves being alienated from many church communities because the leaders and congregants are going down the wrong path into the era and heresy of replacement theology, that wrong kind of thinking that says God's finished with the Jewish people. What a terrible lie that is in the face of both biblical and present day facts. Replacement theology is a horrible irony and scourge in the churches, especially because we see God restoring the Jewish people right before our very eyes. I want to encourage you never to forget the words of the 19th century Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle. He gave us good instruction in understanding the Bible. Bishop Ryle wrote that when reading the Psalms and the Prophets, settle in your mind that Israel means Israel. You see, Israel doesn't mean the church. He said, settle in your mind that Zion means Zion and Jerusalem means Jerusalem. And finally, whatever edification you derive from applying to your own soul or to your own church, the words that God addressed to his ancient people, the Jews, never lose sight of the primary sense of the text because it belongs to them, the Jews. And I say, amen. Now, as we contemplate the Jewish people repenting and returning to God on their annual cycle, it's interesting that they believe that at this time, God grants to them a special grace to be able to repent. That's exciting. And the period immediately before the Messiah's arrival is sometimes called by the rabbis the time when the footsteps of the Messiah can be heard. This will be at the close of the present age. And for Christians, this refers to the time just before the second coming of Jesus, 
when he will return to judge the nations and establish his Davidic kingdom in Jerusalem. He will be great David's greater son sitting upon the throne of his ancestral father David. These days of awe leading up to Yom Kippur seem to be the days of the footsteps of Messiah. Do you hear them? I hear them because there are so many signs bombarding us all around that should tell us that the footsteps of Messiah are becoming very audible. I hear his footsteps because of all of the confirming signs that he gave us to watch. Not just the wars and rumors of wars, the tsunamis and earthquakes, but most of all, the greatest sign is the blossoming again of the fig tree, the nation of Israel. In his briefing to his disciples on the Mount of Olives, Jesus prophesied that the fig tree that he caused to wither will be revived. And indeed, wonder of wonders, the people of Israel live again in their own land. The fig tree has put forth its shoots and its fruit. Israel's economy is booming, even in the midst of much persecution. They have not yet been revived spiritually as a nation, only revived politically at this point. Yet what we see is a harbinger of what's to come. Sadly, at this time, also during the footsteps of the Messiah, the Lord prophesied a great apostasy would happen in the church. The people's love would grow cold, the New Testament says. And the sheer level of hate that's being spewed out on a daily basis all over the world is the ugliest that I've witnessed in my lifetime. The maliciousness in the hearts of men and women is shocking. In light of all of these prophecies, I found it fascinating that the Mishnah in rabbinic literature also prophesied about the conditions of mankind at the time of the footsteps of the Messiah. I want to read a quote from the Mishnah that I discovered at the Hebrew for Christians website. This quote sounds so much like the New Testament because after all, the New Testament was written by Jews. And of course, Jesus spoke in rabbinic terms and themes. But remember this is a quote from the Mishnah. It says that in the days of the footsteps of the Messiah, presumption shall increase. The wisdom of the scribes shall become insipid, and they that shun sin shall be deemed contemptible, and truth shall nowhere be found. Children shall shame the elders, and the elders shall rise up before the children. For the son dishonors the father, the daughter rises up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies are the men of his own house. Well, this sounds just like the sayings of Jesus in the New Testament, doesn't it? But then this prophecy in the Mishnah concludes with a very colorful and graphic sentence. It says that the face of this generation will be like the face of a dog. And that wasn't meant to be a compliment. Not the face of a cute little cuddly puppy, but the inference is the face of a growling, mean, hideous junkyard dog. That's the face of our generation. And it's also the face of the generation in which we'll hear the footsteps of the Messiah. 
All we have to do is look at the news for a minute and see the face of a mad dog in the countenance of terrorists, in the mean-spirited faces of so many ugly, deranged protesters and anarchists. May the Lord truly have mercy on this world. Furthermore, according to traditional Jewish sources, no one knows the time when the Messiah will appear, and it's the same within Christianity. Nobody knows the day or the hour that the Lord will return, although there are many clues. The rabbinic sages teach that God created the world in six days, and each day represents a thousand years. The Apostle Peter confirmed that teaching as theological fact. In 2 Peter 3.8, he said, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So there will be 6,000 years of history, and the seventh day will be the beginning of the great messianic Sabbath rest known as the millennium. Therefore, this present age cannot last beyond 6,000 years. The condition of the world during the last days will be increasingly evil with the tribulation period called by Jesus himself the birth pangs of the Messiah. Sometimes theologians say the birth pangs will continue for a generation, for 70 years, for example, and the final seven years will be the most intense the time of Jacob's trouble, a period of unprecedented turmoil. Some theologians explain that the first wave of trouble came in this generation in the form of the Nazi Holocaust, but that the last wave will be the result of the Arab-Israeli conflict. Therefore, it's interesting to discover that a Jewish sage as far back as the 9th century predicted that just before the coming of Messiah, Isaac's half-brother Ishmael will rise in power to terrorize the world. But the New Testament says, when they cry peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. That's Jacob's trouble, and they will not escape. However, I'm very grateful to be able to report from God's holy word today that the great tribulation period, as horrific as it will be, nevertheless will be redemptive for Israel. Isaiah 66, 8 prophesied, Who has heard of such a thing? Who has seen such things? Can a land be born in one day or a nation be delivered in an instant? Yet, as soon as Zion travailed in labor, she brought forth her children. Hallelujah. This is going to be redemptive for Israel and the world. Childbirth is indeed a dangerous struggle, but joy comes when a child is born into the earth. And the rebirth of Israel has been a struggle, but joy is coming. All Israel shall be saved. The Bible guarantees it in Romans 11:26 declares it. And as Habakkuk 2:3 prophesies, the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie if it seems slow to come to pass. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Amen.
So my friend, as we see human history wrapping up in the Jewish nation rising again, yearning and looking for and even summoning her Messiah, as many Orthodox Jewish people are doing now, he will return and he'll turn out to be Jesus to their great amazement. So in the meantime, what manner of persons should we be? Shouldn't we be in a continual state of repentance and readiness? If you've never received the Lord, I urge you to put your faith and trust in King Jesus today. He's waiting in the field, wanting to hear from you. Say what the Bible commands, that you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and declare with your mouth that he is Lord. And the Bible says, if you do that, you shall be saved. Amen. That is the word of the Lord. I invite you to stay in touch through social media and watch all of our videos at our website, exploits.tv, where you can also click online to receive our free newsletter, Exploits. Until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dark, Maranatha, and Shalom.